Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. I really enjoyed my interview with Kevin McCarthy today. He unknowingly participated in a years long stock fraud scheme and ended up doing jail time for it. Looking back, he knows he rationalized away the red flags that said big trouble was coming. He had massive blind spots and developed a system so you can find yours too. Uh, you'll learn how you can find the things you're not seeing, both to keep yourself out of trouble and be a more effective leader. You're gonna to wanna to make sure you get his book, Blind Spots, and take his complimentary online assessment to learn vital info about yourself and what you're not seeing. Enjoy. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. It's really neat to have you here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so we're both, uh, a, a friend of ours introduced us and we're both members of the National Speakers Association and I just had never, um, I guess we just never bumped into each other there. So so it's, uh, you know, in a pandemic, I guess this is how we meet. Yeah, right. This yeah. certainly makes it easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now you, um, you got your CSP, your Certified Speaking Professional, a couple of years ago. I got mine last year. Oh, congratulations. And, um, so, so you got to walk across the stage at our conference. And so, because um, that, that's the highest earned designation a speaker can really get. Um, and it takes a lot of peer review and customer reviews and video reviews and the whole thing. So yeah. high five for getting that. Yeah, um, likewise. Yeah, I didn't get to walk across the stage last year because there was no conference, but some friends nice. sent a singing telegram to my house to celebrate. So I feel like nice, nice. I'm covered with the celebrations. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk um, Let's talk just a little bit of small talk about you. Where are you right now? Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, it's warmer there probably than here in Boulder. We got what eight inches of snow last night so um, oh my not too psyched about that um no, we had eight for... inches of sunshine so oh <laughs> ready for ready for i don't want to rub it in though oh yeah well thanks and so <laughs> so what um what have you been you know you've been off the road this year probably like like most speakers what have you been doing with your time well you know i looked at this um pandemic as an opportunity to mm -hmm do some things that I've always wanted to do, like bucket list type items. So I started some, you know, some of those projects and. No, 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 wait, 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 what are those? <laughs> well, like, uh, so I started taking Spanish lessons. Oh. I've always wanted to take Spanish lessons. There just never was a priority for taking up time. Okay. And then I uh, took golf lessons last summer, which has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, so, and then just getting, you know, taking advantage of a little bit more time for exercise routines and. You know, just self-care, personal, personal care. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I did. I did a little more of that too. I did golf lessons as well. So um, nice. we'll have to go play next time we meet up, me and you, let's go. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go hack up the, uh, hack up the greens really well. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's try to leave the greens intact. We can hack up the fairways. Um, yeah. so <laughs> well, I didn't take putting lessons. I just took golf lessons. <laughs> okay. You can hack up the greens. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you. I'm, I'm so fascinated to know more about your story. Mm -hmm. because you ended up getting 
kind of sucked into a fraud scheme that you didn't know anything about. And then there's been a lot of really cool work, I think, that you've done on the other side of that, like trying to understand uh, understand things more deeply and how you didn't really see what was coming. So you want to take us into the story and, um, and, then, and then we'll talk about what you've been doing since then. Yeah, so where to start? It's, um, it's such a long story. We've got such a short time together. Uh, all right, so let me go back. I uh, have been a self-employed entrepreneur most of my career. And so starting one business, moving on to another business, I had um, a, number of, a small number of successes in the past and uh, more failures. And so uh, then I ended up <clears throat> owning the 13th largest Century 21 franchise in the country in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. And it was pretty cool. Um, one thing led to another. I ended up being on the board of directors for thir 31 of the different franchise owners in the Maricopa County area. Uh, that led to a speaking engagement back in 94 with Century 21. So that's when I officially got paid to start speaking. And uh, of course, they overpaid me because I had no experience. And <laughs> Take the money and run, Kev. Take it. I know, right? But it was, uh, it, was, it was great. So I got in the speaking industry by completely by accident. Uh, I spoke uh, for Century 21 initially all over the Western states and then uh, branched out nationally. And then, uh, then I started a, a dot-com company in uh, 1995. I uh, sold my real estate company, started this technology company, helping realtors get onto the internet. Okay. And uh, it was actually a precursor to realtor.com. And then uh, realtor.com actually tried to buy my company. I said, no, that was really stupid. Uh-oh. <laughs> they, went, they went public. I had no idea what that really meant back then. Uh, so then homeseekers.com bought my company mm -hmm. and became a paper millionaire for a brief moment. That was a pretty amazing, pretty Lucky awesome day. feeling. Yeah, that was, that was huge. Um, and all this is really important to the story because after I sold my company with Homeseekers and then the dot-com bubble burst and I lost my portfolio because of my stupid choices on margining it, oh. um, then, I, uh, then I met a buddy uh, from church who said he had an investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I took close to the last $10,000 I had in savings at that point after the dot-com bubble burst and invested it into a startup company. Well, a company had been actually in business for six years at that point, and, but they were getting ready to go public themselves. And so I became a stockholder in this up-and-coming healthcare, preventative healthcare company. And then a few months into that position as a stockholder, my same friend said the CEO wanted to talk to me about a consulting position. I had heard about my biz dev background. So now, flash forward, I am a stockholder and now I'm a consultant directly to the CEO of this up and coming IPO. So okay. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And my head is pretty big <laughs> and my ego is super inflated. It was ridiculous. Um, but because of the way, because of my mindset and my ego and my growth in entrepreneurship, there was a lot of blind spots that I didn't know were there and they were about to become you know, known. And so what I didn't realize is that this boss who I had become a consultant for and worked was supposed to be 30 to, to 90 days. I ended up with him 15 months of his seven year run. And he turns out he was running the largest stock fraud in the history of the state of Washington. Oh boy. Yeah. So for seven years, he took 91 plus million dollars from over 5,000 investors. 
Wow. So was it a Ponzi scheme kind of situation? Not, not a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme, more like uh, uh, taking investors' money and paying other investors dividends. So it's just a shifting of money. Mm-hmm. He was just straight up selling a dream. And people by the droves were buying into the dream. Uh-huh. So he was selling stock um, illegally because he, he didn't register properly and do all the things that the SEC were, would normally require. So it's um, like out of the trunk of his car. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so no, 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 no. I mean, that's the, yeah, that could be the conjured up image. He had a, <laughs> he had a legitimate bricks and mortar business. Okay. Um, and so he had a really great story and a really great front and a, a beautiful prospectus. He just wasn't doing things the way he should have been doing them legally. Okay. You know, as far as with registering with the IR, you know, with the SEC um, or the state at the time. So people were buying stock and people kept, you know, kept on buying stock. So they would invest, invest once mm-hmm. and then multitudes of people would buy more uh, over okay. some of the stockholders had been investing and buying stock with him for five of the seven years. Um, so he was just brilliant at uh, what the FBI later called kernels of truth stuffed with a lie. Oh, there you go. Alternative yeah. facts. That's what that sounds like. So The what? I said, it sounds like alternative facts. Yeah. 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 So he had a great facade. And uh, I mean, he had um, famous people supposedly on his board. John Elway was supposed to be a member of the board. Um, Trent Dilfer. Yeah. Um, actually wore the Zenetics company baseball cap on national television the year that they won the Super Bowl and during the interviews. Oh. How did he arrange that? He just probably paid for that spot on top of his head with the cap. So he, you know, he bought that kind of publicity. He had Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, the the late Kobe Bryant, uh, had purchased, um, uh, well, allegedly, I never did find out if this is true. But I actually met Kobe Bryant and uh, Shaquille O'Neal at a birthday party thrown by the boss oh, on their behalf. Uh-huh. So flew, flew several of us to L.A. and picked us up in limos, brought us to this birthday party. All this facade. We had no idea because it all looked real and it all felt real. And, you know, you meet a celebrity and, and who's endorsing the company, uh-huh. wearing the product. You're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And again, with the, uh, what I realized in hindsight is because of the uh, super inflated ego that I had, having grown to a point where I sold my company, um, I was you know, largely obli- oblivious to what was going on. I was so wrapped up in the, the ego of you know, being part of another up-and-coming multi-billion dollar IPO. Wow. Okay. So then what happened? So here I am working away and uh, a long, long story. And in fact... Uh, the story is entirely in my book, by the way. Blind spots. Blind yes. spots. Why good people make bad choices came a bestseller in uh, in August of 2017 on I Amazon. I love that cover. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. And so, uh, so I won't give you all the details just because it's in the book and so it's too much. But he was supposed to take the company public. I became a consultant in September of 2000. And, uh, and the company was supposed to go public shortly thereafter. And then there was the hanging chat election. And then there's all, I mean, there's just one story after another as to why the delay of the IPO. And so for 15 months that I worked with him, there was just a delay, delay, delay. And it was always a great story behind it. And we bought into it, hook, line and sinker, 34 employees, uh, all, all but one pretty much stayed close to the end. Uh And, uh, yeah. And so, 
there was a lot of red flags, but the story was always so great and there was always kernels of truth. So when we'd investigate the red flags, we would find those kernels and be like, oh, well, there it is. That's exactly what he said. So it's gotta be true. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then how did, like, how did it come crashing down? Because eventually it did, right? Yeah, yeah. Eventually it came crashing down. He was under investigation for a couple of years. We had no idea. Um, and uh, the investors started getting too restless. And then there was a cease and desist that came out from the state of Washington in April of 2001. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, the cease and desist basically said, stop selling stock. You're in violation. So his story to that was he had violated securities rules mm -hmm. and was going to be slapped with huge fines but don't worry about it because at the federal level, they're just waiting for the state to finalize the, the process so that at federal, federal level, they can go public. And that he had Jim Sargent on his legal team, who was the former head of the SEC and uh, all the big boys behind closed doors. One of those conspiracy theories. Right, right. Um, it, it, we're going to push through the paperwork. Well, that was that story was validated to some degree there was a jim sergeant he was a former head and he was an actual attorney on on the payroll with this guy. oh yeah i mean okay. he and he had christopher warren's web um legal team uh -huh. in california on payroll i mean it was fascinating what this guy did to create those kernels of truth so we we uh we, many of us most of us stayed through the cease and desist and in fact the prosecutor said if i had to quit at that moment i would not have been wrapped up into this whole web um, but i stayed you know true believers right uh -huh. and uh, and then finally in january of 2002 the fbi came knocking at my door had did a raid on all like 12 employees uh -huh. of the 34 and uh, including the offices and they came in with search warrants looking for anything they could get their hands on related to the boss and the company. And that's when I realized something was dreadfully wrong. Yeah. Um, there were some other red flags we can talk about, but that, that was like the icing on the cake. Um, I still didn't know that he was a criminal. I figured he was being, you know, something was wrong, dreadfully wrong. Yeah. But I had no idea that he was a criminal. I thought there was maybe a conspiracy trying to shut down the business because that's what uh -huh. he wanted us to believe. Uh, but at that point, I hired an attorney and through a long and short process, ended up realizing that, um, yeah, I, you know, was wrapped up in something way beyond me. And so I agreed to plead, you know, plead guilty uh -huh. um, to my my part in the conspiracy. So uh -huh. I, I was I pled guilty to conspiracy to commit securities fraud, wire fraud, money laundering and mail fraud. Oh, boy. Yeah. What a shock that day. Must yeah. have been, huh? Oh, it was, it was the worst day of my life. Yeah, yeah. So, the, uh, so, it seems like you had like a like a transformation process in prison. Is that an accurate statement, or like there was some soul searching? I think that went on there. You want to get into that a little bit, or maybe there's a there's another gap to the story you want to fill in there. Well, that's 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 a good leap into prison. So. Um, the transformation started when I was working with my public defender. The government seized everything that we had. So um, they assigned a public defender to me. I was fortunate to get the number two in the, uh, in the federal public defender's office. She turned out to be a great attorney. But for a month, the first month we were meeting on a regular basis, several times a week, um, 
couldn't stand her. And she, every time I'd leave her office, I'd be crying because she would just, she'd be accusing me of being the, the kingpin or, you know, being a, a fraudster. And she was badgering me horribly. Oh my God. Your own and lawyer. My, my own lawyer. And I didn't, and, uh, and I mean, even telling me that my friends were rolling over on me, telling, you know, you know, confirming with them that I'm the bad guy. And I found out about a month into it that, uh, you know, I realized that this is part of the game that she had to play because she was testing my resolve. She had to find out what was truth oh, and wow. what wasn't. Okay. Okay. Right. So we, uh, we were in her office and at one point uh, just never even sat down. She turned basically and she says, listen, she goes, you, you need to sign this plea bargain. And they wanted me to sign a 10 year plea agreeing uh -huh. to serve 10 years um, for a crime. I didn't believe I did. And so uh -huh. I wasn't willing to do it. So I was, I was arguing with her the whole month. And that particular day I continued to argue. I was like, I'm not signing it. I'm going, we're going to, we're going to trial. Uh -huh. Cause I didn't know he was committing a crime. And you know, I've seen enough law and order to know. Because <laughs> we're all proud yeah. now that we watch law and order. Right. Yeah. 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 And CSI, you know, that too. It's like you have to have intent to commit a fraud. It's, that's my thinking. And I had no intent. Uh, but then she finally turned to me. This is where the transformation, and now we can lead toward the next step of this conversation you asked about. Uh, but the transformation started in this very moment, uh, this aha moment where she said, I finally get it. She goes, I understand why we're not seeing eye to eye here. You're seeing this through a moral perspective. I'm seeing it through a legal perspective. Yeah. She goes, morally, I believe you. She goes, in fact, I know I can convince the jury that you had no idea that you were helping him with a fraud. She goes, but legally it doesn't matter. She said, because basically all it takes is one person in the conspiracy to know a crime is being committed. Anybody else can be swept up in the conspiracy under the very loose conspiracy laws. Mm -hmm. um, so, that for me was the aha moment that changed forever the course of my thinking. And I began to realize why two people can witness the same event and not have the same perspective or the same uh, understanding of what just happened. Mm -hmm. So that began my quest for what was I thinking and why was I thinking and how could I, how can I avoid that in the future? You know, those blind spots. Wow. Okay. So what you're, you're, you're sitting in jail, right? I, I suppose this, I'm just going to make it up. You tell me what really happened. So you're sitting in jail and, and you start studying, right? About, is it, is it internally like what's, how can I improve? Or is it, how do I see this? So I don't let this happen again. Like what's the thought process that had you jump so deeply into this body of knowledge? Well, yeah, it started with this, this concept of how can I believe anything anymore? Oh, wow. Okay. Like what is really wrong with my thinking mm -hmm. so much that I could believe that this guy was a good guy doing good things when in fact he was a con artist mm -hmm. stealing people's money mm -hmm. for seven years, yeah. you know? Um, so I questioned, I challenged every, everything. I was just like, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. You know, I don't know if my Christianity is even real. I don't know any of it. Um, wow. And so it really began this really deep soul searching and, and then understanding. It's so like, I need to understand the process. I, I realized then that I'd never learned about critical thinking. I never couldn't think back to any school that taught me it, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, or, you know, read any books about it specifically. It's like, and I've always been a book reader, but mm -hmm. yeah, I never really, never really understood the thinking process. And I had to understand, you know, what was I thinking so I can learn how to think better and not 
fall prey mm -hmm. to not just a uh, not just a facade or a fraud, but really just make better decisions in general. Wow. Um, and so I started learning. I started, you know, I got my hands on any book I can get my hands on. I had a lot of books sent in um, uh, over time and over the, the course of 33 months that I spent in the federal prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what I did. I, I spent a lot of alone time in uh, in the chapel library just where it was quiet i'm uh -huh. uh, just reading and studying and and literally sketching things out and trying to map out this process you know what drives our behavior and it was all for me it was just because i wanted to be in charge of better behavior right. better decisions wow. um, and then, then it morphed over the 33 months uh, i began to see a dramatic change in the way i viewed the world uh -huh. my worldview was shifting uh, I was beginning to challenge all my perceptions and my beliefs. And so my mindset was, was improving and it was shifting very much yeah. more positive. Uh -huh. And then it became pa a passion. Then I, then I really was like, okay, now I'm, this is like eye opening so much. So I've got to, I've got to share this message with anybody and everybody who will ever listen. Uh -huh. And having been a speaker prior back in the nineties, I thought, well, I'm going to jump back into the speaking business because mm -hmm. what better way to, you know, change the world is one audience at a time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you have like, you have a, a do you want to get into like the framework or do you want to talk? Because I took your assessment this morning, um, which I thought was fantastic and it nailed me just like, boom, got it. And, and um, mm -hmm. do you want to talk about the framework? And then like, how do you want to talk sure, about yeah. these really cool findings like that you've and, and how you're delivering those out. Yeah, we can, I mean, we can, yeah, we can talk about all of that because, um, you know, there's more to the story. The story's fascinating. The book actually reads like a, a novel, although it's a, it's a fact-filled you know, book and it's full mm -hmm. of blind spot lessons. Um, so anybody who's listening wants to get the rest of the details and there's a lot more details. And I want to say this right now, Tracy, is I'm not innocent. I didn't know my boss was committing a crime, but I totally own the fact that I was participating in that conspiracy, mm -hmm. even though I was unaware. So, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, and, and the smoking gun, if you will, there's always a smoking gun. Mm -hmm. The smoking gun uh, details are in the book as well. So it's there's no bar, no holes barred. Everything is out there. Oh, I'm going to dig deep into that. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, and, and uh, I don't know when this is going to publish, but um, uh, today my Kindle version is actually on Amazon at no charge. It's oh, cool. Yeah. So today's, uh, today's April 20th, just so, just yep. so we know. Yeah. And, uh, and anybody, you know, after today, because I know this will, this will publish at a later date, but after April 20th, people can actually get a, a complimentary copy, uh, Kindle copy of my book if they just go to my website, kevinmccarthy.com forward slash free book. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, super, okay. Yeah, super easy. So that said, uh, leaving the story now behind, uh, the assessment you took is uh, the blind spot assessment also on my website forward slash BSA for blind spot assessment. Um, that assessment is based on science, this is the human behavior science of DISC. Um, and it was intended to be short and sweet. And yet at the same time, very actionable. So as you said, it, you know, it pretty much nailed you for the most part. Yeah. Um, it, it's about 86 to 92% accuracy rate. Uh, and what's happening now is I've got companies all over the world that are using that assessment. And I had no idea it was going to happen. I mean, I didn't build it for this reason, but this is because it's, it's complimentary. It's on my website. And I find I get testimonials. I get people feed, you know, feedback from people 
that leaders are using it. So we're now actually being deliberate with this and we're teaching leaders how to take this and create blind spot conversations with their teams. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm working with a lady who's a, a manager of an ins- a big insurance company. And she, the feedback she got immediately from having this discussion with her team was, we want more. Um, and the vulnerability that comes out of that. So this is the impact that's now happening as a result of, I guess, me going to prison. So, oh man, yeah, that's, so, that's you know, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a martyr. I, I didn't take the bullet for everybody intentionally, but silver uh, linings, just, right? Yeah, I just want to, you know, it's like I've got to share this. I've got, you know, we can change the world if we can change the way we think. Oh, exactly. So, so I came out as a competitor, but you have what, like six or eight different, there's eight different styles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and what I, okay. So what are the styles? So you've got, there's four primary styles and mm-hmm. it's competitor, motivator, peacemaker, and analyzer. And then there's uh, four blended styles and that's a combination of one, you know, two different styles as you okay. can, uh, the word would say. And so typically um, this assessment will lead people into one of those eight styles. It's going to be fairly accurate. Um, not everybody agrees with every bullet point, but large, largely. Yeah, it was good. I thought it was good. Right. Um, And then it opens up the conversation because it's a, it's a third party tool that helps conversations become more vulnerable because we can say, you know, so tell me about those blind spots and you're referring to the report. You're not asking somebody to be, you know, sharing something transparent that they, that's never been revealed. Let's just talk about the report. Yeah, or that you're going to get in trouble for with your boss or feel like you're being, yeah. uh, I don't know, picked on or, or people know too much about you or something. It seemed really, um, uh, it, it was kind of perfect. Like, because it's just, mm. it was just like, you know what? Here's here's who, how you kind of operate. And if if you got flaws, like here's a list of where you maybe can improve, right? And, yeah. and, um, and, and mine was, well, it's competitor. It's just, it's just what you think. Like, it's, it's like, you like to win. And sometimes it goes off the rails because you like to win too much. And it, which is the, the, the big summary. Right. And so, yeah. so my job is to pay attention more to people around me and make sure I'm getting differing opinions and seeing a big picture instead of just one goal, which is win. So, yeah. uh, so what, what are some of the other ones? Can you describe them a little bit? Well, and you just tapped into the word win and that's the drive. That's what's called the driving need for the competitor. Oh, so, and that's, yeah. And, that, yeah and, so, and, and me too. And I'm an energizer. So I'm the, okay. I'm the blend between the competitor and the motivator. Okay. Whereas the motivator is the, you know, the sort of charismatic life of the party, you know, let's have fun. Oh, oh, squirrel. Wow. I mean, just constantly distracted, you know, winning's okay, but relationships are more important and they want lots of relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it doesn't matter how deep they are. They just want, they want a lot of people around them because they're motivators. They they Mm -hmm. love to be the center of attention, right? Um, So I'm that energizer right between, but I lean toward the competitor side and which is, I also have that, that drive to want to, you know, win. Well, our driving needs, according to Dr. Mark Scullard, who is a psychologist in human behavior, um, he says that we, somewhere between the ages of around three to seven years old, we look at the world and the way the world impacts us. Mm-hmm. And we do this subconsciously. And, and then we develop this driving need. So for us competitors, we, we may have looked at the world and went, oh my gosh, this place is a scary place. I mean, it's a tough place out here. And if I'm going to survive in this world, I'm going to have to just 
I'm going to have to own it and just make my way. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we, we developed this drive to just be on top, to win, to control our own destiny. Um, And so that's, that's the driving need. So the driving need for a motivator is expression. So like, if I, if I'm going to survive, I've got to, I've got to tell stories. I've got to interact. I've got to have a lot of social interaction with Uh people. Right. Cause that, that's, so that's part of how their personality and you know, behavioral style develops. So the driving needs are really important to learn and to understand. And, and now for a competitor, uh, the polar opposites are super important to understand too. So if you're on a team and you're a competitor and you're working with a peacemaker, then you are naturally, if left unaware, and that's a real key here, if left unaware, which is where I was mm-hmm. up until prison, yeah. if left unaware, you and the the peacemaker are what I like to warmly refer to as arch enemies. Not peaceful. (laughs) Yes, just just naturally you will clash because the Mm -hmm. peacemaker, all their driving need as a peacemaker is harmony. Mm -hmm. They want, in fact, to the point where one of their blind spots as a peacemaker is they want harmony so much that they'll throw themselves under the bus. They'll take the blame just to keep the peace. They don't, because they don't like conflict. They don't want, they want the team to be in harmony. They want everybody, all the relationships around them to be in harmony. So even if it's not their fault, they'll accept it just to, so there's no conflict. Oh, well, that's, so that's a blind spot they have to work on, you know, mm-hmm. as a peacemaker, but a competitor who's not aware about the, the person they're dealing with, who happens to be a peacemaker, you and I, if left to ourselves, unaware, we'll start barking orders or just be real short and concise and we'll give them bullet points and punchlines and we'll get to you know it's like here's what i need to do do it now get it done yeah, boom, and, and, yeah. and we move on <laughs> and we yeah. think we're just get worth we think we're being efficient exactly the whole time the peacemakers going whoa whoa whoa, whoa slow down yeah <laughs> i need more details i i want some relationship here you're all like task oriented i'm I'm people oriented. I can feel this coming up in me right now. Like, oh my God, those people. Right? <laughs> but this, and this is the way uh, most leaders are because mm-hmm. most people are unaware. They're not as aware as, they, as we think we are. Tasha mm-hmm. Urich studies self-awareness as an occupational psychologist. And she wrote a book called Insight, which I highly recommend. Um, a summary of that would be, you know, 90 to 95% of us think we're aware, but sh- she'll say that only 10 to 15% of us actually are. Oh, so, sure. oh, yeah. So, that, yeah. Yeah. Right. So we need to become more self-aware and then more others aware, which is also the foundation of emotional intelligence. That's mm-hmm. that's part of the core dis, you know, dimensions of emotional intelligence. And so there's so there's so much. So blind spots is is that's my my thing. Right. And mm-hmm. blind spots covers all these different dimensions. It covers emotional intelligence, diversity, inclusion, ethics, you know, decision making, um, personality and behavioral styles. It covers a lot of these different areas because all of these different facets of human behavior create blind spots and we don't know it right because we don't so know what we don't know so let, let's talk about this oh a, a, a lot of fraud happens right under our noses and and mm-hmm. i think we do a lot of uh justification to that like like whenever i talk to a fraud uh, uh let's say a victim they can always look back and see the signs mm-hmm. right so so what are your tips for in the moment like starting to realize like wait a minute something's not going right here like and 
and see it objectively instead of rationalizing things away. Like what's your tip on that? Like, but it, and, and you can even run that through your filters of, um, of your assessment. If, if you uh, yeah. And so one, there's, there's so many things that, you know, really need to be in play. If you want to be protected against becoming a victim of fraud or being susceptible to becoming, as I did, an unwitting accomplice to a fraud, like your boss. Uh, and it's, and it, I would venture to say, I don't have data to back this up, so just bear in mind, gut okay. feel here. But just from all the studies, I would venture to say that there's a lot more acquiescing of employees to employers where the employers are doing things wrong. Oh, yeah. Whether they're unethical or whether they cross the line to illegal, mm-hmm. that's a gray area to to discuss in a whole different setting. Great. Um, but how often are you seeing or feeling that there's something wrong, but you're going along with it? Mm-hmm. Because you're you're rationalizing, you're justifying, or you're in fear of you, you, most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. It's true. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, yeah, I don't like what my boss is doing, but I can't afford to lose my paycheck right now. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't afford to speak up. And I've talked to people in my audiences and I've had, uh, I do a lot of uh, work with uh, uh, internal auditors and yeah. audit examiners and yeah, yeah, me too. CPAs, yeah, yeah. a lot of financial people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I've had stories where it's like, yeah, we, you know, this one lady comes to mind where she saw her boss on, she turned in her internal audit, the boss and the board challenged her and wanted her to make some adjustments to it because her audit was truthful and didn't Uh want all the black and white. They wanted it to be gray intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not doing that. I'm speaking the truth. And this report stands. Mm -hmm. So she ended up losing her job. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she spoke the truth and she's so at peace with it and so mm-hmm. happy about it. And life moved on and worked out for her, you know, but mm-hmm. that fear of losing your paycheck. So I, I say all that to say one of the ways you can challenge yourself is slow down and question what you're feeling. And most of us don't. Oh, do that. yeah. No, we don't do that. No, our emotions drive our behaviors. And yet we don't challenge our emotions before mm-hmm. we behave. Right. Right. So here's a really classic, simple and somewhat silly example, but I think everybody will get it. When's the last time you got up from your couch at home or your desk in your home office or wherever, and you walked over to the refrigerator and you opened the door and you just stood there and thought, hmm, I'm hungry. What can I what can I eat? And as you're gazing at each of the shelves and you're looking around for something to eat, maybe you found something, maybe you didn't. But my challenge to you is are you really hungry? See, that is, you're bad because I am thinking about what snack I'm going to have right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Oh, it's it's true. And so, so on that note, which is semi unrelated, um, I've had clients at uh, go to uh, what is where where they have the meetings, the, uh, uh, it's not AA, but it's oh. like Snackers Anonymous or something along those lines. Oh, sure. Think what it is. Overeaters type place. Yeah, yeah. Overeaters Anonymous. That, that's what it is. And she said, you know what? They never ask us in there if we're hungry or not. <laughs> like they've never asked, are you hungry? Uh, or have us ask ourselves that. So yeah, I think um, very insightful. But anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the, I mean, as simple as that sounds, 
We don't challenge our emotions. And frankly, most of us don't even know our the full gamut of our emotions. You know, uh-huh. there's four primary emotions, but or six or eight, depending on the psychology that yeah, you, you look into. Like. Yeah. Um, but there's so many more emotions and there's different degrees of emotions. And so we don't know even how to classify what we're feeling often. But anyway, my so my point is, is when you feel something, you know, uh, our gut instinct, you know, some call it intuition, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. That intuition sometimes can, can save your life. Uh, now, not always, because our intuition, we can't just say, well, I go with my gut and call that good, because that's, that's a mantra that we stick to, um, and it allows us to have cognitive laziness. That mantra just allows us to shut off our brains, mm-hmm. um, and our gut is not always right. Um, and so, that's and, true, yeah, too. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to push back because some people really listening right now, they're probably going, well, mine is my gut. I always go with my gut and I live a great life like that. It's like, okay, that's great. But if you really rationally think through every single gut check, they're not always right, simply. All right. I mean, we can get into whole psychology of thin slicing, all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. But the point is this, the point is check your gut, check your emotions. Where are you really, what are you really feeling? Mm-hmm. If, and there is a mantra that, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not huge into cliches and all that, but the one that everybody knows, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it's what? Probably, probably not, probably not true. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you are in a situation, that seems like it could be too good to be true. You might want to take that a step further and start investigating. And you can't always do it yourself. I thought I could handle all the red flags and okay. just, I ended up justifying and rationalizing yeah. away these red flags. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, now I've got a half a dozen people that are very close to me, my, my closest sphere of influence, mm-hmm. who I can run things by no matter how ludicrous, crazy or whatever, and get some perspective, honest perspective. Ooh, and they- and they have permission. This is another tool. Give those close people to you permission to smack you figuratively upside the face, upside the head. I have uh, basically like say, listen, Kevin, I don't care what you're thinking right now. We're telling you it's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something amiss. Um, so here's a here's a classic example. I'm also a, a certified national referee or international referee for the uh, World Billiards Championships in Vegas. Really? Okay. Okay. Wait. Wait. I have a question. Do you know the Black Widow? I actually have met. Uh, yeah, I've met the Black Jeanette? Widow. She's not health. She's not healthy. Yeah. Oh, genetically. No. Yeah. Sadly. So. Oh no. Um, yeah, let's, uh, put some good thoughts out there in the universe or pray for her. I will. She is, yeah, she's battling some some you know um, health issues. Uh, she lives in Florida. Uh, yeah, so I know Jeanette Lee. I've got a picture with her. I rode an elevator with her once. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the Black Widow, but she's a sweetheart of a lady. Is so. she? Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I also play amateur pool here in the Phoenix area, and I was um, – I was playing a, a, a league play last week and there was a potential for a foul when the, my opponent was shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't go into too many details here, but the perspective, here's the issue. Here's the, okay. the example is because there was a potential before he shot, we agreed, let's go call a referee to come watch the shot and make okay. the judgment call. And in okay. the rules of pool, the referee's word stands. Uh-huh. Doesn't matter what you think. Um, and not every, not every referee is perfect, you know, but okay. for the most part, whatever the rest. So three people watched the shot, the referee, a, a nearby high level skilled player and myself. And we all said the same thing. That was a foul, bad hit. Uh-huh. The player said it wasn't a bad hit. I'm telling you right now, 
I have the best perspective standing over the ball. I saw the shot and it's not a bad hit. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the same thing that goes for back to the story of have people around you that will tell you the truth because that person started rationalizing and justifying why it was not a bad hit. Three other eyewitnesses all saw from three different angles, Uh a bad hit. So sometimes I have to tell my friends, listen, I could get in my own head again and start rationalizing something. I need you to confirm and to force me. I mean, I'll like be strong with me and let me know that Kevin, you've run this by three or four or five of us. And we all telling you, it's not a good decision. Mm -hmm. You need to listen. Yeah. And I need to then own the blind spots. I need to own the idea that I've got blind spots and then be humble enough to go, you know what? Okay. You're right. I'm probably just justifying again. Wow. And you know, it takes, it takes some bravery to do that. Right. Cause we all want to hear what we want to hear. And right. then, cause I have friends that will tell me the truth as well. And um, I don't always like, that's our deal, but I don't always like it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, that, so, wow. That, okay. Now I just got to know, like, what would a foul on a pool shot be like, would they <laughs> hop the ball or have it go around? Like what, all right, for all of you pool players, and I know there's lots of you. I'm a competitor. I'm a competitor, Kevin. Uh-huh. I have to know. <laughs> I don't have a, a, a pool balls right here in front of me. I've got some in my pool table and around the corner. Um, but when you have the white ball mm-hmm. and another ball okay. this close together, where they're they're literally maybe an inch apart, half an okay. inch apart. Okay. And you're getting ready to hit the the, the white ball into the other ball. Okay. If when they're that close apart you hit the stick into the white ball, the white ball is going to hit that ball and it's going to bounce back. Okay. It has to. Right. And it's going to bounce back into the, the, the stick. And when you hit that stick twice on the white ball, it's a foul. Oh. And so, yeah. Now, if you're playing in a pool hall, you don't, nobody really thinks like that. This is yeah. professional or amateur league type sure. yeah. regulations. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's just one, one of, one of many. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I learned something. Who knew? Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. One of these days, I'm going to actually do a whole video course on leadership principles around the pool table because there's so many pools. There's so many facets of pool that actually apply to leading teams and, and running business. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's with a lot of sports. You know, I used to be a professional yeah. bike racer, so um, I could probably do the same thing, but yeah, I'm going to talk about fraud and lie detection instead. So there you go. <laughs> so, All right. So um, I know we got to get you back to your day. So if you could leave people with one tip uh, besides the one that the ones that you've given, which are, I mean, blown, blown away. Fantastic. What do you got? The most important letters in the alphabet, six letters, write them down, put them on the screen. S S T P C A P S T P C A P. Okay. Okay. Stop cap is a way to say that just adding an extra O in there. But um, so S T P is stop and put on your thinking cap. That's a good way to remember those, those letters. So STP for stop or STP is when we are in a situation Uh where we perceive whatever stimulus comes through our senses and it creates any kind of an emotion or requires any kind of reaction. 
like you could be walking down the hallway when we get all get back to work in buildings and, you know, you catch somebody's eye and that look on their face just gives you this sort of visceral reaction. Like what the heck was that look for? Right. Anytime you sense any kind of reaction, put in STP cap, stop and put on your thinking cap. So stop means to stop or STP means to stop temporarily, mm-hmm. think deeply. So we have to get out of this automatic thinking. It's called system one, according to Daniel Kahneman. System one is our automatic processing where we just react automatically, yeah. like driving. We don't think about hand, you know, left hand over right hand. We just turn, sure. right? That's the automation. We have to get kick ourselves out of that into system two, which is our rational thinking process. Mm-hmm. So before the visceral reaction takes, takes root, Stop temporarily, think deeply, mm-hmm. and then proceed deliberately. Now you can oh, wow. proceed rationally instead of irrationally. And you can act instead of react. Um, when you're thinking deeply, now you're going to employ CAP. CAP is simply context, assumptions, perspective. What context am I missing here? Mm-hmm. What assumptions am I making? And what perspectives are available? Got it. It's a critical thinking model. It's a, it's yeah. a way to kick into the rational thinking, bring in other perspectives, understand the context of what's truly going on and challenge our own assumptions about what assumptions we're making. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. I ch- check in with yourself. That's what it is. It's check yeah. in with yourself. And, and we don't do, we're not taught to do that, but man, when you do, you get some pretty interesting, uh, realities not all are easy to swallow however they're all valuable well and this this is i you know we teach this to uh, team leaders um anybody leading uh, organizational teams anytime you're having a meeting and there's any kind of discussion and decisions that have to be made use the same thing okay mm-hmm. let's stop and think about this and let's think deeply so you know ask the team what cons what you know what uh, context are we missing you know what assumptions are we all making uh-huh. And what other perspectives are available to us? Oh, that's awesome. That's that, that's cool as a group too. I think. Oh, totally. Like really, really valuable. Okay, so how can people get a hold of you? Because people are going to want to get a hold of you. We know that your book is um, going to be well today is on Kindle, right, for free. But obviously, a hard copy is going to be better paperback. Mm-hmm. But then it's going to be on your website as well. And then, because people are going to want you to come in and speak and um, realign their their teams and and, uh, and and their results, right? Right. So, how do they get a hold of you? So, blindspots.com is my primary corporate website. And there's all kinds of assessments there, not just the uh, complimentary blind spot assessment, lots of information. But go to blindspots.com if you want to look for me as a speaker, then click on the speaking link. And uh, um, I've got a nine minute video there that'll give you more insight into my story that we haven't really touched on too much today. And then um, what else would I say? Uh, We have, so during COVID as a pivot, because as a keynoter, my stage time has been diminished. Yeah, Um, I've done a lot more virtual stuff, obviously. And I actually been doing virtual presentations since 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also partnered up with a, another blind spot person in Canada. And so now we've created blind spots global together and, uh, and we're doing a lot of teamwork programs. We've got a full year of 
uh, programming that we can bring to teams virtually. So it, and it helps create a, a more cohesive team and a greater trust culture through this uh, blind spot venture that, uh, that we're setting forth on. It's really pretty awesome. Um, so I say that because when you go to blindspots.com and you find the blind spot assessment, which is again, forward slash BSA, if you do that, and you take the assessment, you'll be invited to our Thursday morning blind spots a Thursday. We call it BS Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. Now, now BS stands for blind spots. You can have it stand for whatever you want. Whatever you want today. Yeah. But, uh, but BS Thursdays, we have teams of companies coming to this uh, just off and on. So it's, it's free. It's every Thursday morning, eight o'clock Pacific time. It's uh, it's via zoom. So you can just get, uh, take the assessment and you can get mm-hmm. signed up and, and jump, jump in anytime. Um, but then you'll get to ask questions and we, uh, we have all kinds of rare, you know, various teamwork and culture and lots of different topics that come up and it's open discussion. So there's a oh, lot of that'd ways. that'd be super valuable. Yeah. A lot that. of ways, a lot of ways to get, uh, get value out of blindspots.com and, and become part of the tribe and part of the community and, uh, and ways to reach us and have us bring you in or have you bring us in. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. They need to bring you for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. all right, well, I tell you what, thank you so much for coming on fraud busting. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure. Love okay. what you're doing. Keep it up because, uh, yeah, everybody needs help staying away from the uh, the fraudsters and not getting wrapped up in it accidentally or becoming a victim of it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time. <laughs>